Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. For our first episode, we wanted to look at how One in Five came to be. For those that don't know, One in Five is a Cincinnati-based nonprofit with a mission to promote optimal mental health for Cincinnati youth through stigma reduction and evidence-based mental health education. And One in Five emerged from our annual 5K, the Warrior Run. The Warrior Run started after Nancy lost her husband, Jim, to suicide. Before we take a look at how One in Five works with schools, we wanted to talk with Jim's childhood friend, Steve, so we could learn more about Jim and the impact he had on his community. So Steve, could you tell us when you met Jim? Jim and I met after, probably toward the end of of our uh, freshman year in high school. Um, I had just moved into uh, the uh, school district, and um, that's how I met him uh, at school. And uh, certainly when I think about Jim, uh, man, his personality was was big, and what he really helped me do uh, at that time was to really connect with other kids at school, and um, kind of uh, help me kind of move through some of my my discomfort. Um, he and I are kind of an interesting contrast because you know I'm much more on the introverted side, and Jim was really able to kind of help me get out of that, you know, and uh, really energize uh, just about any situation that that. We were in um, big energy, big personality, could fill the room, you know, uh, with great energy. And certainly, he liked to stir things up a bit. You know, he would love to take that controversial side of a of, a, of an argument to uh, get things uh, get things cooking and rolling. Uh, but you know, it, it was just uh, it was a uh, honor to know him, and he was a big piece of helping me get connected to the new school and new kids and. Um, one of the things that obviously he was really great at uh, was uh, running. You know, he was a gifted athlete. And another contrast between the two of us is that that was not a, one of my gifts. By having that gift, especially in the high school years, you know, I mean, that was, those guys were, were really the most popular and whatnot. And uh, so he would kind of drag me along, you know, to go to dances or parties or, you know, get into, get into stuff. And, uh, you know, that was a real, a real benefit. Uh, to uh, hanging out with, uh, with Jim during those years. So Steve, tell us a story that encapsulates his big personality. Oh, you know, Nancy, he, again, he was always energizing situations, you know, and so kind of the, on the social side, oftentimes when we, you know, he would be uh, kind of connected with uh, stories about where the parties were going to be on Friday night and you know, one of the, the stories that does stick in my mind is that, you know, when at that, at that time, you know, showing up at a party, uh, it was pretty much bad form to show up without some beer. And if you remember back at that time, there was a, a thing called 3-2 beer, you know, kind of a low powered beer that you could buy when you were 18. And we needed to, you know, we needed to get some, you know, in order to, you know, show up at this party. And so we were, we then hatched the plan and, uh, 
you know, Jim was very adamant that I was going to be the one who was going to go in and uh, actually make the <laughs> make the purchase. And so we started hatching this plan. And you know, part of it was I was going to you know, not shave for a week, which didn't mean a whole lot then, other than there were, you know, there was a little bit of stubble by the by the end of the week. And then we had to figure out where we were going to, you know, make the purchase. Settled on a little carryout in uh, Madisonville, you know, out of our territory, so that you know we wouldn't be recognized. And then it was all about, you know, he's coaching me along here and, and how this was going to happen. And, you know, we're in the car driving over there and he's, he's pumping me up. You can do this. Come on. There's, you know, no sweat. You can make this happen. And uh, so we ended up uh, going there and I was able to buy a six pack of Budweiser or something and then uh, get back to the car. And all I can remember is this the Jim Miller laugh, right? The, 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 that cackling, high energy laugh. You know, we were laughing like we had just done a big bank heist or something, you know. I have just wonderful fond memories of him as uh, as just, you know, just fun to be around and things were going to be happening and, you know, we were going to do whatever and, you know, it was, it was all just constant. He was always, he was always doing something that you're like, what are you doing now? What are, how did you hatch that idea? <laughs> he would get away with it all the time. People would go along with him and you would be like, are you crazy? <laughs> you can't do that. But he did. He did it all the time. Oh, he did. And, you know, and, it, and again, you know, the, the energy that would come out of all that, and it was just really appealing. And, you know, he and I, uh, when I eventually got a car after turning 16, he was, uh, he was my, my uh, first pickup, right? My first to stop on the way to school every day. And uh, we spent a lot of time, just he and I, you know, going back and forth. I'm kind of slow to start in the morning. He was not. He was, you know, always, you know, going about 80 miles an hour when he got into the car. Just wonderful memories thinking about all that. So one thing that I loved learning and uh, made me laugh is hearing the story about how Jim had a secret stash of food for the girls in the morning. <laughs> it was all the bad, it was all the like sugar cereal and there was always cookies somewhere. <laughs> And he would, he would laugh. He would like, the girls would be like, as soon as you walk out the door, dad's like, mom's gone. Let's get stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always, always kind of walking that line, that, that edge. And then laughing like crazy when he gets caught, you know? Yeah, exactly. And he was an amazing dad. Like he would do things with them that no dad that I know would ever do with like they would, this is another thing that he did in Marymount that I would just, he would drive me crazy, but I call it the Tallahatchie Bridge down over the course in Marymount. He would take them down there and they would like, he would have them sitting on the edge of that bridge and they would be throwing rocks and they would put pennies on the railroad tracks and they would go down and catch frogs and bring back like a whole swimming pool full of frogs into my backyard. <laughs> so you you would think you would see these things and then you know he was always there for them he was um but it was really hard for him to think about that changing that they were going to go away to school and he wasn't going to he wasn't going to be in that role anymore i uh i actually haven't heard like a lot of stories about jim so i'm i'm loving like learning about him and learning about you know all this stuff it's so it's so heartwarming <laughs> So um, when you look back and think, and this, this might be a little bit more of a difficult question, and I apologize for that. Um, 
So when you look back and think now, uh, is there anything that you like questioned his behaviors or anything now that you have a different lens on, you know, everything? Yeah, that's a, that's a very, uh, that's a thoughtful question. And, um, you know, it, it uh, really causes me to kind of think about and think about my own journey and uh, how it intersected with him. For Jim, there would be times when, you know, I can tell that maybe something wasn't quite, um, certainly we never, we never talked about it. Uh, I do think at times, you know, both his dad and my dad were part of the know, what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, but the people who survived uh, the Depression and World War II and were kind of that, that era where you just did your job, you know, you had things to do and they were hard and uh, you didn't talk about it, you just, you just did it. And certainly I think, um, you know, at home, I never felt comfortable talking about any of that. And certainly we, we never did talk about it, although Nancy, I'd have to wonder, you know, what would have happened if we did, you know, how much better that could have been for both of us, you know, had, uh, I had the courage or he had the courage to say, hey, do you ever have this, this feeling, right? Do you ever feel like you're just or, all tied up in knots? Uh, but we didn't. And, uh, and then certainly, I know, you know, with Jim's dad passing, and that happened, Nancy, do you, do you know exactly when that happened? It he had died. It was when he was 10. 10, okay, yeah. It was prior to me meeting him. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know that he had to, to weigh very heavily on uh, Dion's family, uh, no mm -hmm. doubt. Oftentimes when I look back, you know, uh, from, you know, the lens today, it, uh, I remember, uh, you know, I was picked him up a hundred times at his house or what have you. And uh, there were very few times that, that you know, you, I would get invited in. And when I did get invited into the house, it was, it always kind of had a very somber, almost, you know, just walk on eggshell kind of, kind of feel uh, to it. And um, certainly um, I did meet his mom once or twice, but, you know, it, uh, she really wouldn't engage, you know, wouldn't come out and, and really spend much time because she was suffering and they were all suffering, not knowing whether it was a, you know, part of the, the trauma of having lost Jim's dad or if it was, you know, a you know, physiological response. Um, I don't know what it was, but it definitely had a, the, the house had a really different feel when you, when you went inside it. And um, it was very, very quiet and, and very reserved. So, to me, looking back on that, I think that might have been a little bit of a, you know, a marker that, you know, there was something going on. Well, um, as Steve mentioned, um, Jim's dad died when he was very young. He was 10 um, and he was the youngest of three boys and they were all four years apart. So he was 10, his brother was 14 and 18. Very different parts of your life that you're experiencing at that point. Um, and his mom really struggled with depression. Um, and his two brothers really struggled with depression. And I think the whole time that I knew Jim, everybody in the family said, Jim is just different. Jim didn't inherit that gene. But I think because he was 10, that he decided that he was going to have a different personality. He, um, there are some people in Marymount who are also friends of Steve's, the Nelsons, who took Jim under their wing and um, they had a very normal family existence, and Jim spent a lot of time there. And I think that he saw that joy in other families that he wanted to have, and he just created it for himself. 
um, he would had a very big personality, but then he would do things that a lot of times I it was it was out of character for me. Like he had a fish tank that was in the basement, um, and it was a giant fish tank. And sometimes like he would be going, 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 and you're like, "What happened to Dad?" And they're like, "We don't know." And so um, we like we would go searching for him, and he would be in the basement, lying on a beanbag chair, staring at the fish tank, and you're like okay, what are you doing right now? And he's like, I just need a break. I need a break. Um, and so those kinds of things, just to look back at now, um, we just thought he was weird at that point. Like, why, why are you doing that? But I'm sure that it was overwhelming to be who he was day to day. Um, and um, the Nelson, Scott Nelson said this to me. He said, Jim needed to be at a very high level of engagement all the time. He needed to, in order to um, be okay and to be happy, he had to be up here and he had to be map. He had to be Superman to everybody. And he probably recognized that he was starting. It was, he, I think running was his sack was his saving grace. Um, and he got injured when he was like in his late forties and he couldn't run the way that he used to run. So instead of running eight miles a day, he could run two miles a day. And he would say, my spirit can't soar the way it used to soar. And I, that didn't make sense to me at that point. What does that mean exactly? I was never a runner. I don't know what that feeling feels like. Um, but I think that was his saving grace. And when he couldn't do that, I think the world started crashing in on him. I think that he had those moments where he would be really quiet and you would be like, okay, that's not, that's not who you are. What's going on. And he would just always be like, I need a break. I need a break. Um, but I never, it never dawned on me at that point that that was something different. So Steve, how are you involved with one in five now and why? Well, the why piece of it really does kind of tie right back into the experience, but uh, um, in my own family situation, you know, having uh, finally gotten to the point in my 40s of realizing I couldn't push through it any longer and uh, you know ended up getting some really wonderful help um, you know it, you start to look at you know our own family tree and certainly my mom you know had elements of, of uh, depression and anxiety her sister Lucia did and there were stories about my grandmother on the Italian side. And given my my dad and his point of view, which is show up, do your job, be responsible, you know, get it done. Uh, there was there really wasn't a whole lot of uh, room to talk about. It was a different time, though. It was people didn't really talk about it. And I guess that's you know that's the the point of Nancy, the, the great work that you and your team are doing. Um, you know what would have been different. You know how much sooner. Uh, could I have reached that point where I was ready to ask for help or get some you know, guidance about what was going on, and certainly for Jim as well? Yeah, it's um, I I I um, look back at that time, that moment in time when we found out um, that Jim had passed, um, and I had I was over at Xavier with my girls, and they were 15 and 17, and they were in really good places at that at that time. And I made the determination on the drive from Xavier back to home that we were going to be very transparent. I'm not sure where that came from, but it came from something outside of me that um, was very clear that we we had an opportunity because so many people loved Jim that we needed to use that for the good 
that we needed to talk about it because if it could happen to Jim, it could happen to anyone. Um, and then very quickly, uh, my dad, um, it was about two weeks after Jim passed, he sat me down and he said, this is the deal. You've had a great life. You had a great marriage. You have great kids. You have a great family. You have great friends. You have the personality. You can do this. Let's go. And I was like, really? You gave me two weeks? And he's like, yep, you have the, you have the ability. Let's figure it yeah. out. And you do. <laughs> And you do, my friend. Well, the thing that I, you know, the thing that I, um, I look back a lot is, is that I am a very um, cerebral person. I'm an introvert, like you. I think about things a lot. Um, I also know the impact that Jim had um, in the world, um, and the impact that he had on kids specifically. Um, I have two binders full of notes that um, kids wrote to me about how he mm. changed their life. Um, and you look at that and one thing that this will make me cry when I say this, but Elizabeth, who was 17 at that point said, the thing that makes me the saddest is I never got mm. to have that. I wasn't at the point in my life where I needed that help mm. at that point. Um, and so I will never have that from my dad. Um, and he got to give it to a lot of other people, mm. but not to me, which is like, oh, yes. it's heartbreaking. But you're like, okay, he influenced all these other lives. So how, and, and it's, you know, mental health is starting at a very early age. So we, it, it's all about talking about it. And Jim's family and your family, nobody talked mm -hmm. about it at that point. And if we, if we just start talking about it, what a difference we could make. Yeah. I kind of want to talk about like the, the running group, because I know like the warrior run initially started as, as a running group, right? Uh, no, what happened was um, the Miningers are um, a family in Marymount. They have five kids, and Libby was the same age as Kate. And Jim was um, Libby's coach for a lot of years in soccer, and they had a mutual love love relationship with each other. Um, and after Jim passed away, Chris Miner came, and he said, I want to do um, a walk in Jim's memory in Marymount. And they called it the Jim Miller Memorial Mile, um, and there were uh, there were a lot of Jim's friends that helped Chris put that together. So there was about twelve of them that were Jim's friends that came together and did that. And then two years, we did that for two years. And the second year, my kids said, "This is going to go away, and we will have done nothing." Um, because the first year there was probably eight hundred people there, and the second year there were maybe four hundred people there. Um, and so I went to that, it was, so I went to those 12 guys and I had a meeting up at Starbucks and I said, so will you guys meet with me? And they all came up there and I said, so, uh, I need to do something bigger than this. I need to, I need to benefit somebody out there in the world. And they're like, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to change it to a 5k and I actually want to raise money that does mental health education. And those guys all still today work with me on the warrior run. So um, we, uh, you know, last year we had about 3,500 people do that event um, and we had two meetings. So everybody just has their job. Everybody does their job. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Yeah. So where did you get the name Warrior Run? Well, that's what people always ask me. Why is it the warrior? Is it the Marymount Warrior? Is that why you named it that way? And I'm like, no, it's because I think a warrior is a person that fights through. Um, 
you know, and I think that Jim was a warrior all that time because he was probably fighting through and that we need to keep that spirit of this is a fight. We have to fight through what we're feeling and come out on the other side. You belong here. We belong together. So that leads us into talking with Trisha from Marymount City Schools. Since the Warrior Run takes place in Marymount, uh, the Marymount City School District was the first to work with one in five and start looking at their strategic mental health plans. Trisha, thank you so much for joining us. Could you introduce yourself to our listen- listeners? Uh, Trisha Buecher, I'm the Director of Student Services at Marymount City Schools. All right, so, uh, so when was your first meeting with Nancy about the Warrior Run? We had a meeting, I remember it clearly, we were in the board office, and uh, it was Nancy and I and Roseanne Hassey, and we were about eight years ago, and just talking about how could the district uh, work together to really make it kind of an annual community event. And since our schools are so tightly connected in our community, um, to the community, we thought that would be, you know, they were talking to us about how we could do that. What did you, what was your, what were you thinking after that first meeting? What was your general impression? Um, just excitement about what that could be. Um, my job, I, I, I oversee a lot of different things um, in the district. And so I don't have a sole focus just on mental health. Um, so it's helpful to have somebody whose sole focus is mental health talking to you. Makes a big difference. So a lot of times there really aren't, um, you know, federal funding and things like that. At the time, there was not like a line item for counseling services and programs. So you really kind of had to make do or make things up as you went without without a lot of resources. Um, we certainly are at a district that uh, valued that. So we had staffing and things like that. But as far as programs go, that was all relatively new. So I feel like it was just you know, excitement about maybe what this could be, not really knowing now when I look back on it, like, thank goodness <laughs> we, we did all of that because it really changed the course of um, kind of our, our mental health services. Uh, it was a, you know, you look back on a point and you're like, okay, right there, saying yes to doing that changed kind of really how we did everything moving forward with mental health services. When you say it changed everything, can you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, so just in the very beginning when we did the signs of suicide and um, we had a student who had a plan and was going to do it the next week and, you know, the parents have told us we saved her daughter's life. Um, That wouldn't, literally, that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't partnered with One in Five. So when I say when that meeting changed everything, it actually changed, you know, families um, from having to go through, uh, you know, something just awful. <laughs> it makes me uh, kind of overwhelmed when you think about that's, that's what we're talking about. We're really talking about saving lives, um, not little things, not just how do you have a better life. It's like literally saving lives. So I think, um, you know, make a phone call, set up an appointment, look on the website, get connected, um, and then and then let one in five kind of help you move the needle in your district and make a difference. Hearing those stories really keeps us pushing forward. We won't, we don't want another family to experience the loss that we felt. Um, we know that interventions and preventions can really save lives. Can we talk a little bit more about how we started working together? 
Yeah, so we started this partnership where we had regular meetings, we're checking in, um, and then Nancy's just, you know, such a wealth of resources. She, you know, brought MindPeace on. Hey, have you talked to MindPeace? So starting that relationship and having somebody where that's all they focus on is really helpful because then they bring ideas to you. Um, it was a funding source, and I think whenever you have money, um, that's when things start happening. You have you have money to make decisions and add things and and then we were working together um, and had to figure out kind of a way then, okay, if we get this money every year, um, we have to have a system to organize how we're going to keep adding services and, and how do we, um, you know, assess how our services are and what we're doing for kids. And so it just, it started this whole kind of trajectory with our counseling services that, um, like I said before, we were more siloed. So you had, you know, a junior high counselor and a high school counseling staff, and they all did great things within their buildings, but we weren't um, collaborating in the way that we started to once we had money to spend on counseling services as a district. Can you talk more specifically about what has been implemented at Marymont since we first started this relationship? Yeah, so we, um, you know, um, we want to do, we want to have many layers, many different opportunities. Um, because you're never going to reach everybody with just one, one way. That's not going to be the, the solution. So we're trying to be as varied and open as we can. There's been just a whole host of things. I mean, it's a big, long list. I would say, um, starting with um, Nancy hooked us up with MindPeace and that um, connecting with that organization and getting our mental health partner, Child Focus, um, to now we are serving 10% of our student body in our schools with a mental health partner, which is amazing. Um, and then uh, from that, we were able to add the signs of suicide program. So we do a mental health screener in grades 8, 10, and 12, where we're educating kids on signs of depression, how to help each other, just reinforcing that, tell a trusted adult, don't hesitate. Um, if you see something, don't worry about making them mad, you know, go tell somebody and get them help. Um, and we just keep reinforcing that. Uh, we already had the Adapting for Life program in ninth grade. So um, Terry Thomas, who's amazing health teacher, uh, added components in seventh grade. Then when they do signs of suicide, eighth grade, they have health class in ninth grade with adapting for life, 10th grade signs of suicide, and then before they leave us in 12th grade. That's pretty amazing that seventh through 12th grade, just about every year you're getting some kind of reminder or instruction on suicide prevention. Um, then we started adding uh, a peer-to-peer -peer program. So we added sources of strength, um, which is amazing. Um, and as you go through difficult times, you have this group of kids that you can, you know, go to immediately and help you out. The kids are fantastic. Um, and then it's helped us to think of other things. I mean, we've added staffing. So we added elementary counselors that we didn't have before this started. Um, nursing services that we didn't have before this started. We have a partnership with Youth Frontiers. We do some retreats at grades five, seven, and 10. Um, so when we look at the whole, there's just so many, and I could go on and on just in terms of different groups we have. Now, some of those things, you know, obviously we pay for as a district, and some of those things are completely paid for through the money we make through the Warrior Run. But it just started, it started a process. 
it also helped us build relationships with community partners. Um, we started this year working with Living With Change for our LGBTQ uh, students and getting training for our staff. We're gonna expand that training uh, for staff and programs for students. Um, I just think there's just so, you know, as I think about it, there's just so many little things that spun off from that. Um, initial meeting and getting things started. When you all started implementing mental health education and programming, can you talk about parents and the community's responses? What I can say about that is at least um, our community is very supportive when we started Signs of Suicide. We have parents sending us emails saying, thank you, thank you for doing this. That makes me feel so much better. Um, we've had very little negative um, feedback around the programs we started. If anything, they're just so grateful that we have those things. I think it scares parents, and rightfully so, and they, they like that we're you know, talking about it, being open and upfront. So we've had this great community support. We weren't sure when we started all of that how that was going to work, and we have had nothing but positive support. So I think they were, our community was ready for it. Um, we just recently did a survey at our high school uh, in partnership with Children's Hospital and One in Five and Dr. Slavin. And now we didn't have anybody opt out. We didn't have anybody, you know, complain um, or ask why we're doing something like that. It's always really positive. So I just think if you make it like, it's okay to talk about this. I think there's nothing more important just to be open and honest and to say like, we're allowed to talk about this. Um, so when you have a big community event, it's, you know, the whole idea is to prevent suicide. Um, you know, it really opens up the conversation. When kids see that, when they see their teachers there, um, and we have staff members that have been affected by suicide and, and talking about that and, and, you know, being very passionate about it. When you have, um, when you see your, you know, when your principal sends out emails about, you know, registering for the warrior run and suicide prevention, how important that is, that says a lot, I think, to students. Like, oh, we're allowed to talk about this. And parents get the, that same impression. So it is not a taboo topic. And um, just having that event, it's a really great positive way to be able to have the conversations. So um, I actually graduated from Marymount in 2015. Uh, been a few years, but... <laughs> Um, I remember, I mean, like, I, it seems to me that like the, just like the stigma has, has really been reduced. Uh, my little brother is currently a senior and, um, how would you say like the warrior run and everything has allowed like students to be able to like start the conversation, you know, more so than, than before? You know, I don't know from the student perspective, except that I know our kids feel really comfortable talking about things, bringing up ideas. Um, we've done various programs based on what students want to do and what they think, um, you know, they feel like we're lacking. And we really take that to heart and make changes and they see us do that. So I, I hope the student body feels like we're really open to whatever they need. As a, as a student service manager at Marymount, you've done an amazing job. You know, I think I tell people all the time that Marymount is the best in the city. Um, we've been working the longest, but um, your openness and your ability to think more um, open-ended globally has been amazing to work with. Um, and I think that you could be, a, you know, your role model, um, you're a role model out there when people are looking to do this kind of work. 
um, what message would you tell other school districts about um, what you've learned along the uh, along the process? Well, thank you. That's very humbling to hear. Um, I, I think um, what I always tell people is to do things. Uh, um, one to collaborate, and I have never done any of this alone. Um, so. Um, I think looking to your community partners that specialize in this is really helpful. I'm fortunate I had a counseling background. I was a counselor. I think that makes it, um, that made it a little bit easier for me to make some decisions. Um, so that was, that was an advantage I had. But I think use your community partners and I think come up with strategic plans. Uh, the different directors I've talked about is very overwhelming. I think it's overwhelming to be like, how can I get there? You know, we've been doing this, I said this about eight years ago. That is, so when we look at where we're at now, that was just incrementally adding things each year. Um, and, and having a strategic plan and collaborating with your um, mental health experts in your district. You know, I'm a big believer in finding your network, asking how you did something. We made mistakes, find out what our mistakes were and learn from those. Um, and, you know, I'll share anything with anybody, our plans, how we do things, how we're set up. Um, we're a small district. That's different than if you're in a big district. So I think, you know, people in larger districts need to meet with us to get some ideas, but then collaborate with their larger district folks to see how that works. Um, it's different kinds of systems. The wealth of people, um, you, Susan Shelton, Christy Burning, you know, all these different people, uh, Tristan Bott, living with change I mean you don't have to you don't have to be an expert I just think work together I think just get it on your calendar it should be something that you look at on the regular basis have regular meetings we have monthly department meetings so we're always talking about this and we all know what's going on kind of k-12 and we look at it as a system k-12 not just what is elementary doing versus junior high versus high school we're all trying to work together um, there's just a ton of great resources in Cincinnati. Yeah, so take advantage of it. You don't need to do it alone. Call Nancy and she'll set you, get you started. That's what I would say. Step one, call Nancy. That was our story, right? That was our story. Had one meeting and then eight years later, look at where we are. So just reach out and say, help me get started. I don't know how to get started and know that you're, you're getting started. Do not compare yourself to other people, other districts. Do what your community needs in the way that your community needs you to do it. Everybody has a different culture, and so you've got to pay attention to that and have people um, help you. But I would also say don't be afraid to take a risk here and there. You're going to have to put yourself out there a little bit. How would you say like one in five can help uh, like a school district? We're going to plug ourselves here a little bit. But how would you say one in five can help a school district get started regardless of size or location in the city or anything like that? I mean just the website alone you know counselors could use um, one small way would be just as a counselor introduce your counselors to the website to the resources to the videos the content is amazing it's so well done that just that is a free tool that your counselors can use i don't know that all counselors know that that exists so that would be one thing as a former counselor you can share a video we've done that in groups share watch a video and then discuss it um, there's a lot of power in that and just a ton of resources. So I think you've got, you've got that. Um, and then for Nancy to be, um, 
and other people on your staff, on one in five staff, it doesn't have to be Nancy, but just different people that can connect you with resources um, and just get kind of an initial meeting to have an assessment. Um, same with MindPiece. I think that's another great kind of first step organization, those two. I think I know they work hand in hand. So um, just getting set up with, um, here's where I am right now and, um, you know, help me with what's the next step. That would be my first step. And then once you get connected with one in five, yeah, I would say watch out because you're going to, you'll be going on a ride. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org. We ask that you please subscribe, rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we're changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope that you'll join us next time we explore what mental health and wellness really means. We'll be talking with Dr. Michael Sorter, head of adolescent psychiatry at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and Dr. Ashley Solomon, clinical psychologist about mental well-being. See you then. You belong here. We belong.